Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. And we are back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in and for all your support and believing in me. I'd like to give a shout out to my sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried & Jensen, Thread Wallets. And I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Paul Cardall. He's a award-winning pianist and his music is what you heard at the beginning of the show and at the end. And he's been on my show a few times. So I want to thank him for being willing to let us use his music. It's, it's, he's, he's a phenomenal person. And I want to thank again, all my guests who have been on previously. It, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be where we're at. And today's going to be no different. Today we are joined by Cindy uh, Benazura. Did I say that right? Benazra. Benazra. Yes. Yeah. So Cindy, man, I'm telling you, you have quite the story. You have quite the platform. And first of all, I just want to say before we get into some of the stuff, I want you to know that I really do admire the way you carry yourself after what you've been through. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. truly. You know, you are the author of the memoir, Under the Orange Blossoms. Uh -huh. um, in that book, there's a beautiful quote that I want to share. It's by uh, Laurel Hamilton. There are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. Wow. We're going to get more into that and what that actually means. Cindy is an author, speaker, uh, a sexual abuse advocate, a mom, a wife. Uh, she helps people. She's doing everything she can to to bring light to people who are going through the same thing and being there as a support a help and to help them get through that as well. Uh, she also is a co-founder of the luxury event company where she spends much of her time creating beautiful spaces. Uh, she, you know, her and her husband currently reside in Seattle, Washington, and she's the parents of four beautiful children. She has been through so much that I don't even know where to start. We were talking about that earlier. What are we going to talk about? There's so much we could do a couple hours of this, but why don't we start Cindy with, Tell us about your, where you grew up and a little bit about your childhood. Sure. So um, originally from California, San Francisco, and my mom uh, is an immigrant. Well, actually, she's second generation Mexican. No, okay. no, no. Oh, take that back. She's first <laughs> generation Mexican. Okay. And um, growing up in San Francisco, and my dad is from Germany, and so he, he is an immigrant here in this country. And my parents moved to Arizona because my mom was an wow. asthmatic and she was just okay. looking for warmer client climates instead of right. that uh, foggy um, climate in San Francisco. And so I, we lived in the rural parts of Arizona and um, in South mountain actually. And okay. Back then in the 70s, um, it was a lot of farming community over there, and it was like butt up to a, a country club, and it was um, kind of like a mixed um, neighborhood. A lot of middle-income people starting their, their young families, and um, every day I rode my bicycle, <laughs> open yeah. wide streets, you know, nothing to be afraid of. Um, new development. And, um, in our neighborhood, it was a lot of, um, also immigrants too, starting and coming up too. So it was, uh, it was all new. And, um, I don't know. I just remember swimming a lot, playing Barbie dolls, having right. wide open fields, playing kickball in the evening under, you know, a big tall lamp with the, the neighbor kids. Yeah. And, um, I was just your regular kid. And from, the outside, everybody probably thought I was just your average kid. And yeah. you just don't know what happens. Uh, my mom was um, beautiful, very well poised, um, educated. My dad, too. They worked, Both of them worked incredibly hard. They had mm -hmm. like two, three, sometimes four jobs. They would just do anything wow. to make money. Yeah. So I knew hard work. Um, my yeah. mom 
put my dad through grad school and she would sew on her on the side and try to make extra money to put my dad through grad school and then type up his papers and on those old fashioned type typewriters, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember going to sleep <laughs> to that, her sewing and typing to the wee hours of the night. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it was it was Arizona, cactuses and sunrises and Barbie dolls and swimming pools. So, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of heat, right? <laughs> a lot of heat. Yeah, crazy temperatures. I couldn't believe it. And back then we had the black asphalt where oh, yeah. we had, do you recall that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't want to take a spill on your bicycle with that stuff on the ground. No, you don't, man. And no. that does bring back a lot of memories when you say that. <laughs> it's funny, my my brother, uh, he doesn't live there anymore, but he lived in uh, Cave Creek, Arizona, and we would go visit him. And we uh -huh. usually would go around November, and it'd be like 80 degrees on Thanksgiving or you know that, that time of year. I'm going, this is crazy how <laughs> warm it is, and here we are. It's November, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you had a fairly normal childhood on the outside until I guess it wasn't and you know things that were going on behind the scenes and you know I know there's so much to talk about today Cindy so let's just get right to it. Okay. I know that uh there's a reason why you're a sexual sexual abuse advocate now. Mm -hmm. Why don't you share with our listeners? I know I know this is a heavy story but share with us you know kind of what you started to deal with as a young child. Sure. So um, you never know what happens behind closed doors. Um, we had this old fashioned saying, and I, I think it probably still runs true to this day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever happens in our household stays in our household, you know, that this is our family business. Yeah, right. And, it, you know, that gets pretty ingrained in, in you, in your head pretty young. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily that way now because my kids share everything that happens in our family or maybe it's just different way of parenting so i'm not really sure on that but in our household it was whatever stays in this household it it stays within these walls right and um i we were pretty respectful kids um my dad well actually he was kind of a tyrant and um so mm -hmm. i was scared i was scared he had a big yeah. booming voice he was a little bit of a not a little bit. He was a narcissist and yeah. um, he kind of commanded the household. And my mom was very demure. Um, so it was just my sister and I. And um, from the age of five, I was sexually um, abused by my father mm -hmm. until I was 10. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason why it stopped at 10 is my dad, I would consider him, you know, textbook um, pedophile. So he was not interested in older children. He was interested okay. in younger children. Mm. So um, at 10, I started to go through puberty and um, I think maybe I became more a human or relatable. I don't know. I'm projecting. I don't know, but it's something in there, something stopped. And yeah. in that process from 10 on up, honestly, until this day, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm 60. So until this day, I still have, um, it's been a journey to heal from these very, very pivotal years. Um, because in five those are five to 10, you're really developing, you're becoming, yeah. you're trying to figure out who you are in this world, you know, emotionally, psychologically, you're trying and you're getting your personality. And so yeah. I believed in my world that the world was a very, very scary place, um, that I could not trust adults, that yeah. I could only rely on myself and my intuition. And um, it was a frightening place to be. And years and years it took me to kind of in a sense reprogram yeah. change my mindset change everything about this initial thinking of what happened to me as a kid my father was also very um he was physical he was physically abusive mm. um he used to be able to control us um by saying things like well you don't want um you don't want to hurt if, if you say anything, I'm going to hurt your mother or I'm going to hurt your sister. So I was, um, and I love my parents. I mean, I, I really 
do love my sister, my mom, and they meant everything to me in the world. So I did not want them hurt. And um, I thought I'd rather not to be the martyr, but in my mind, I thought, well, I'd rather it, I'd rather take the burden on than have my mother and my sister affected by this. For sure. So it really held me. And he knew my dad was a very... manipulative person. And he knew what would hold me. And um, my mom was very afraid of working. She didn't really believe that she could work, you know, back in the seventies. You know, most women did not really support themselves. So she was terrified of not having a roof over her head. And he would often remind me, like, if you say something, you know, you may, you may lose all your friends, you know, you, whatever that I was familiar with, you lose your friends, you lose your house, your mom will be on the streets. Um, you would have a jailbird father, which I didn't even, I mean, that was a terrible thing. I only heard about, you know, people being incarcerated. I never really thought about a family member being incarcerated. So I was like, Oh, and so then I started carrying shame. And then there was just compiled Mm -hmm. levels of that. And again, I'm five, six, seven, you know, like I'm going through these years and those, it was a lot to handle. It really was. Um, In fact, it was unbearable later on. It was just unbearable. Well, um, you know, the thought, one of the questions I have, and I, I know you were basically threatened not to say anything. Did anyone suspect or did your mom maybe notice something was off? I mean, did anyone know or or was it just like, you know, this was all secret? Well, um, in hindsight, I don't know how anybody would not know. I don't know. It's again, I parent very, very differently now. I think sure. also we have a lot more awareness. We're talking about these things now. So I think there's a lot more awareness. Um, I think my mom was in denial. Um, I think she lived her life in fear. And so I don't know how she would know. And later on, I do go and I tell her, and I'll share a little bit about that. Maybe you could remind me later on yes, how yeah. I shared what that what that was like. Absolutely. And um, so I do share, but I just don't know how. I mean, I had bruises on me and I would go to school. Um, I was failing school. Um, I just teachers would bring us in and they just couldn't put the whole thing together. I don't know. I mean, I was a kid. It's all guessing. I don't know where, what happened in this broken system, but um, yeah, it's pretty tragic. And I know what happens still to this day. I think we catch things a little bit quicker, but what do we do with it is really like kind of where I am today. Like, what do we do with this? Because it is a broken system. Well, and that's what I love about the vulnerability and, and just you're a voice now. And it's amazing how you're not afraid to talk to anyone and everyone, but obviously that didn't happen overnight. No, (laughs) it didn't. So tell us about kind of the struggles and the battles on top of what you went through, because I know you've been through some other things as well. Just Mm -hmm. talk about the, some of that and then how you transitioned to being this voice for those who struggle. Well, I have to say, um, as a kid, I was a a spunky kid, but I was also um, pretty quiet and introverted. So I I do have those two sides to my personality. So I did have time to be introspective, um, mainly because I wasn't, I had to force myself because I really didn't trust anybody. And that was the reason I would... um, get abused or I would get, you know, sexually abused or Mm -hmm. physically abused. And I didn't know who to turn to because I felt the world just was not looking out for me like adults. And I would get on my bike and um, the bike, the reason why the bike is, you know, when you exercise and you pump all your anger into something, um, I would just ride as hard as I can and ride into the orchards fields. And, um, that's where the orange blossoms were. And I'd ride in there and I was sweaty and hot and mad and I couldn't (laughs) scream or, or act out. So I would go into the trees and I would just scream my head off and, Mm. you know, pound, pound the dirt and, you know, get mad at, at 
earth and the trees. And because I felt like they were the only ones that could trust me. I felt that nature had a responsibility. It, it, especially those orange trees, they produce fruit. They produce beautiful blossoms. Um, I watched them grow in the mud and I thought, well, I'm living in the mud. Then I could survive this. Like I could trust nature. And so I would look at nature. I would listen to it. And um, if you want to call it meditating or prayer, I was able to, um, I think, get really connected to a higher source or a higher power. Yeah. And, um, and to each their own. But that was sort of like a, a connection that I've always felt internally. But through these times, that was my time where I could find sanctuary and really yeah. connect with something greater than myself. And I recognize that really young, that I'm just, I'm an, a, a little ant in this world. And yeah. um, I don't know, sometimes I think about that. That's like a big concept, but some maybe in desperation yeah. at that moment and those times where I really looked and I thought there is something beyond me. And I will get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this because I didn't right. know any examples of yeah, how to get right. through this. But wow. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, and did that bring you a little bit of peace though, feeling like there is someone or something greater than you in the, in those moments? Did it feel like, okay, that can at least help me move a little bit forward here? Yeah. I wasn't even sure what it was to be yeah. honest. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. the no, craziest yeah. part. <laughs> I, I'm just a kid, you know? Right. So I didn't even know what that thing was inside me that was stirring, that connected me, that grounded me, that um, I relied on. And it just sort of became almost like a, uh, an intuition, a voice in my head, uh, yeah. a feeling that, um, if I really thought about it, I could connect to it. And yeah. it was the thing that never left my side. It would get through me. It was the thing that always stuck with me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, you know, you mentioned that you have a story about sharing this with your mom. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear that. And also was she the first person you told? She was the first person I told. I okay. could still picture in my head. Um, I was, we, we were living in Arizona at the time. So I lived around, uh, around the world a little bit, but I was living in Arizona at the time. And I remember looking down at my mom's beautiful brown legs because we're always in shorts or in a dress. My mom right. was very proper. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember looking down because I couldn't look in her face and tell her mm, what yeah. was happening. And what was happening, and this is, well, this is basically how I told her. I just said, mom, dad comes into my bed at night. And I remember, mm. I couldn't see her face, but I just remember like the sweat on my body and yeah. um, thinking like, now what's going to happen? And she did ask questions. I don't really, she was more like clarifying, like, yeah. what do you mean? What are you right. saying? What, you know, what do you, because my parents would say goodnight, they would kiss us goodnight, they would read a story, you know. Um, it, so she wasn't really sure. So I got where she was trying to clarify. And I took out a picture that my father took of me. So my dad, had um he had a I don't know what you would call that he he was um abusive in the sense that he would take pictures of me and that child pornography mm. is sexual abuse right so he would take me out of my bed go and take pictures dress me up go and take pictures of me in the middle of the night um, sometimes I was smiling. Sometimes I was not, he would tell me how to pose. Um, it was really quick over time as equipment became more elaborate. Um, I just remember thinking like, this doesn't hurt. I mean, physically, this right. is quiet. I don't have to do anything sexually. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I went along with it, but I do have to say, you know, being up in the middle of the night took its toll on me in school. I was yeah, very confused right. by it. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I showed my mom the picture 
And it was me on a bear, like kind of like a bear skin, faux bear skin rug. And it was underneath the Christmas tree. And I happened to have the Christmas presents around me. And my dad said, hey, this is going to be, I think this picture is so beautiful. I think this is going to be our Christmas card. So I showed it to my mom thinking that this was yeah. going to be our Christmas card. And uh, my mom, that I do remember looking up at my mom's face and she just went in a tirade. Um, she goes, where did you get this? And how often does this happen? And I'm trying to tell her the story, but she's rifling through oh, his office. And yeah. I knew where the shoe box, where all the pictures were. So she pulls down the pictures and she just throws them all up in the air. And she starts crying and ripping up the pictures and grabbing my face and looking at me and oh, like man. going, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. Long story short, my mom did leave my dad. And way back in the day in the 70s, there really wasn't even a kit for sexual abuse victims. There mm -hmm. wasn't a woman, like a true woman's shelters. Mm -hmm. um, actually, a lot. it would be kind of surprising. A lot of what we think rights for women were not completely in place for women and children as they are today. So we've come a long way. Yeah. But personally, I feel that we haven't come far enough to protect people. For sure. But, um, how, um, how old were you when you told your mom? How old were you? Do you remember? Uh, okay. So I have to say anywhere from seven to 10 is kind of a blur. So I'm always saying things out of sequence because I really don't know, but I'm okay. going to guess anywhere from like seven, eight, seven, eight, or maybe it's eight, nine. I don't know anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I know to write the book, I actually had to sit down and write a timeline with somebody <laughs> right. with my therapist and sit down and like go backwards and try to figure out exactly right. what the dates and look at pictures, which was just an awful experience. But anyway, wow. um, we went into the shelter and mm -hmm. my dad, you know, was still in communication with my mom and my mom didn't feel that we should be living in a shelter. I mean, I, I guess it's extremely taboo. I mean, right. Extremely taboo. When we lived in the barrio, um, I remember it was right next to the border of, of Mexico and I had never experienced this. And, you know, a Latin community is very welcoming. So everybody was my aunt, everybody's my uncle and every <laughs> uncle and everybody was my cousin. I was like, yeah. this is cool. I love this experience. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. But um, with that didn't last long. And my, I came back into the house and my dad promised that he would never touch me. And when they examined me, um, I, my hymen was intact. Um, I had no broken bones. I um, had some bruises. Oh, well. Um, what else? It was his word against my word. And that's how it was back in the day. So I got put back into the household and my mom believed my dad, and that just shattered my world. I mean, I can't even tell you. It broke belief systems. It broke so much. But um, I love my mother, and I didn't have any other place to go. And I knew I was better staying at home than I wanted to run away. I would run away a thousand times, but um, I would only get a few blocks down the road. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. so I got put back in the house. Yeah. My goodness. And so, and then it continued for a little while, right? It did Longer. continue for a while. Yeah. And during this time, um, and there is a little shame here. I'm going to share it though, because it's called homicidal, um, homicidal ideolation. Yeah. And um, I wanted my dad to stop. And my, my sister, my um, mom they would joke about like, gosh, if your father ever got hit by, you know, a, a bus, then, you know, like make jokes. But I mean, it's a really grim yeah. scenario to think about. And yeah. I remember thinking like, my dad's a monster and he has created havoc in this whole household and he needs to stop and he needs to stop touching me or hitting yeah. me. And I thought, well, I'm going to take things in my own hands. And I actually... Um, and this is the part where I care a little shame because I can't believe it. I'm yeah. yeah, but it's, it's true. I pictured how I would kill my father and I oh. brought my cutlery or my mom's cutlery into the bed and thinking like, if my dad came to bed, I would stab him. But, you know, 
I would think like, well, okay, there's lots of ribs in my chest or in one's chest. And how do you stab one in the dark with lots of ribs? And plus it was a butter knife because we weren't allowed to play with sharp knives. And, um, you know, I thought the rat poisoning in the garage poisoning him. um, And that came from a murder she wrote from my mom watching TV. I thought, oh, that's all going to poison my dad. (laughs) But I mean... It, it's pretty tragic. I mean, and that's yeah. called complete desperation to make something stop because the system just wasn't working for me. Wow, man. Well, you know, and I know you say you feel some shame around that, but I think people listening to your story, including myself, completely understand why you went there with those kind of thoughts. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, here you are, this kid who at times feels completely hopeless and helpless what what other options, you know? So no wonder you were thinking those things, you know? Mm, yeah, it's wow. just um, I had I have to say I did have an epiphany, um, and I, again I don't know. It, it, never underestimate your children because it, it's amazing how their little minds will think. But I remember thinking, and so I was young. Um, I don't yeah. know nine ish because I think I couldn't take it anymore. About like nine ten, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I really started to act out, become violent. Um, I started to behave just like my father. And in this thinking about taking out my father, um, I realized it was a, a a horrific thing. I thought, oh my goodness, I have become my father. I'm saying the same things as he is. I'm acting violent like he is. I I have become the monster, another monster in the household. And that's because it was all out of fear. I understood that. But then it was a conscious choice at that point um, uh, to really think about what I was going to become. Like, obviously, I couldn't stop uh, this force. So who, how could I turn this around? And how can I be different and it really was a, the trigger point in my life where I thought I got to be the opposite of my father. I got to do the opposite of what he says and what he does yeah. and what he believes. And otherwise he will take my will. He'll take everything that I have. And I was just like, he's not going to have it. You could have any yeah. other part, but not my, not my mm-hmm. soul, not my will. Like, yeah. You cannot take this from me. This, this is mine. This was my right. gift that I came into this earth and this is mine. Wh- whatever it is, you could break, but this is mine. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to really change. And then that started to trigger a little bit of a healing journey for me. Yeah. Um, but it was a very powerful, empowering moment as a kid. And I I was just about 10 because just before that we moved to Iran, my dad was a petroleum engineer and we moved Mm. to Iran and, um, in Iran, um, my dad saw me as a, as a, a woman and he left me alone. So I was able to actually recreate myself because I, I went from trauma Mm -hmm. to, um, post-traumatic stress. And my brain shut down and I forgot about what happened to me in my childhood. If you would have asked me any questions, I would have said, yeah, my childhood would have been great because I did not recall anything that happened to me from the past. I just knew that I didn't know my father. And um, I still continued. I used to have this uh, like mantra when I would be around my father or anybody who would capture my attention. I used to practice being the wallpaper and i would say it over and over again really be the wallpaper be the wallpaper be the wallpaper you're the wallpaper you're the wallpaper because i didn't want any attention brought to me because it only got me in trouble so i silenced i think my voice who i was yeah but it was out of survival and um i think it at least i was alive i think that's yeah. that was like a savings grace i i just wanted to survive yeah wow Man, I just, as I'm hearing your story and just you actually personally talking about it, man, I can just feel it. It's the the weight and on my own heart, just hearing you say this is tough to hear this. Um, so you go through this, you move, 
you know, I know we're jumping way ahead here a little bit with this question, but what, I, I, I love what you said. You're like, I, he's not going to take this from me. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to be the opposite of what he's doing. And here you are, this voice now, this vulner, vulnerable person sharing what you've been through. What got you to the point where you were willing to share this with the world? I mean, it's just that part to me just fascinates me how open you are with this. Um, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I think, um, <clears throat> through the years I have done so much therapy. Um, I journaled, mm -hmm. I did a lot of things to kind of save myself. And at 16, 17, um, I started to be sexually active or definitely thinking about boys. I recognized that like, Hey, they're kind of cute. So <laughs> I, right. I think it opened up a whole new window. And in that, um, <clears throat> through dreams, a lot of this, of my past came back in my journaling and it, mm. uh, sparked a lot of, of old memories, but I really couldn't believe that they were my memories. Um, I thought they were, it was like a, something that I watched, something that I read. And actually I remember confronting my father and saying, did you, did you do these things? Cause this is what I'm dreaming. And my dad even said, well, I think it's a movie you saw. I think it's probably a book you read. Um, why would you accuse me of this? I'm such a good person. And through the charade, I asked my mom to, and she was like, why are you stirring things up in the household? You know, things are so great yeah. now. And through this thing, when I asked my parents, I recognize and I felt it intuitively that it that these were not just nightmares. This was my life. And mm -hmm. that's when I think in this thing of trying to find afterwards, because I felt um, suicidal, I just couldn't believe I couldn't deal with the pain that mm -hmm. I had unfolded in my um, journaling that this was my life. And I felt dirty. I felt yeah. I was disgusted with myself. I, I just couldn't believe I felt betrayed on. I just didn't believe I was, I was, had betrayed. My belief system was torn yeah. apart everything that I knew. So um, from this part, I started to really try to find a way to heal. I lived, <clears throat> excuse me, at that time, I, I went to a high school in Spain. Um, my, my mom wanted to, she did not want to live in Saudi Arabia at that time because the Shah was over, overturned and Iran yeah. was, you know, kind of going crazy over there. And so my dad took a job in Saudi Arabia and my mom wanted to speak her native tongue. So we moved to Spain. And during this time, um, being a teenager in this amazing tourist town on the Mediterranean, I went through the darkest, deepest depression, and I would contemplate every day coming back from school thinking about, like, how do I end this pain? And the only thing I could think about was jumping from my window, which is pretty mm. drastic, but I didn't yeah. really have, I just didn't know how to stop. I didn't want to hurt myself. I mean, I, and I knew then I love life. I, I think mm -hmm. I already knew that life was a gift, but I just wanted the pain to stop. And Sometimes when I would listen to my teenage kids and when they wanted things to stop, I would always relate to that part of my life and think about that. Like, oh yeah, like I get it. Like you just want this to end and you don't know how to fix it. And I was looking for a solution and I didn't turn to drugs or alcohol. It just, it's not, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just not wired that way. Yeah. I think I just turned to that same thing that I found in the orchards, that higher that that voice inside of me, that thing that I would meditate, that thing that I would listen yeah. to, it was there. And I think that was sort of like a healing that I started to find ways to heal because I couldn't go to local libraries and find ways to heal. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And yeah. in that process, um, I think I started to become a teenager, you know, like all teenagers were... Yeah self-absorbed we're, <laughs> yeah. we're we're all about us we're there's nothing else about us there's nothing greater than us and I think in that I think I I started to become very self-absorbed which is a good thing and I started about like I'm going to heal myself like this is my journey 
And in there, I think I started to find my voice a little bit. And as I started to get older and go through different, I have, I've had so much more trauma that happened that was just uncontrollable. But through that, um, I, I found um, different parts of my voice through different parts of therapy, alternative. Um, I'm so sorry about this. Um, through all oh, of goodness. that, I started to find my voice. And, um, and it really didn't happen until I started to write Under the Orange Blossoms, which, by the way, was supposed to be a cookbook. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I remember you talking about that. I saw I watched your uh your launch of your book and which was beautiful by the way, and just the way you spoke in front of everyone it was amazing. Um, but yeah, you, it's supposed to be a cookbook, but uh, things changed, right? <laughs> it surely did. You know, I love to cook, I love to entertain, <laughs> and my daughter and I um, we own an event company, and I thought, uh -huh. oh, this is great. I'm gonna write all these recipes down and I'm gonna put this all down in a book and get some, you know, some tips on entertaining yeah. and fabulous entertaining. So as I'm writing all my recipes, going through, you know, different countries, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, different forms of abuse and yeah. all this stuff, I'm writing them down in different notebooks because they kept them coming up. And I, there mm. was one um, recipe and that was, um, you know, I was just a kid. It was uh, Mrs. Anderson's grilled cheese sandwich. And I remember I used to run away all the time and she would pick me up at the corner and say, okay, come on, Cindy, let's, um, let's have a grilled cheese sandwich and a seven up. And I thought, oh gosh, like her, that was comfort food. And she would sit there and talk to me. And I have no idea what we talk about, but yeah. that nurturing, you know, from a tribe, you know, whatever your tribe is, um, that really, it was like, kind of like soul food, a grilled right. cheese sandwich. And um, so from that, when I was looking at that, I thought, oh, my gosh, I know what happened at five. So I started to look through the journals again. And I thought, wow, out of all these books, one was um, on my son, who is it was trauma. It was um, he was born with a rare brain tumor. And I had a lot of grief and unsettled things going mm -hmm. on with that. And um, the other one was the sexual abuse the physical abuse. And that was my childhood. And I really didn't share too much of that. Um, I, I, it's not like I didn't, I mean, how do you talk about that at a party? Like, it right. just doesn't come up. It doesn't you know come I mean? up. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a downer. I mean, it's like, <laughs> hi, I'm Cindy. And yeah, you know, yeah, it just doesn't happen. So right. it's, it only happens with your dear friends or someone close. And then it's really, how do you talk about trauma? Like wh where do we find these times and who do we trust? Yeah. Even as adults, who do yeah. we trust? Yeah. Wow. You know, um, again, you know, you, you, you did end up doing this memoir and, you know, obviously I understand more now why you called it, you know, under the orange blossoms, right? Cause that's where you would go to find solace, to pound the dirt and, and to try to fit in with the trees and the dirt and everything that you were faced with. Um, what, what has come of, you know, now that you've written this, mm -hmm. how, how therapeutic was that for you to actually put this in words and to, to, you know, basically publish it to the world? Uh, so this is hard for a lot of people to believe because they always think that um, writing your story has to be very cathartic. Yeah. And honestly, if I, if I, heard that, or if I watched somebody else, I thought I would think the same thing too. But mm -hmm. I believe that being individuals, um, it was the opposite for me. It was extremely traumatic because I do suffer mm -hmm. from post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. And to go back into um, writing, you have to write everything. And then to protect your audience, you have to scale back and really find a way to write it that protects your audience so that they could learn what they want to learn out of that. Yeah. So you have to write, go through it in a timeline of your entire life, all the different forms of trauma. And then you have to not only do that, but you have to um, say, what did the room look like? What was the color of the room? Yeah. Where did you feel the pain? What was... Um, what was hanging on the wall? What was the lighting of the room? 
Um, what did they say? Go deeper into that. What, where, what was their intonation? You know, you have to really dig, dig deep. And in that process, I got triggered again. And I thought I had, I shaken out every cobweb, every skeleton in my closet by that time. And I realized that you can re-traumatize yourself. I started having nightmares again. And um, my husband, you know, he would stop me and he goes like, why are you doing this? You're going to make yourself like physically ill. Like, why are you doing this? And I kept on saying, and I still believe it to this day, I wouldn't recommend it, but I kept on thinking about me as a kid and how I did not have a role model, how I did not know that I was going to be successful in life. I didn't know simple tools of healing that you could do all on your own. And I kept on thinking, I couldn't have gone through all this trauma. And I really do believe that we are given things in life that are meant to be shared. I don't know if they are meant to be shared publicly, um, but this one, because it happens out of one in four girls, one in six boys in here in America, those are reported cases and that's epidemic proportions. And I felt, no, there, there is... uh, that girl, that woman, that mom, that father, that, that little boy, you know, that teenager who is just finally awakening, coming into his own sexuality, trying to figure out who he is in the world. I thought, no, this is, this is where I have to step up and find my voice and try to be the squeaky wheel and try to find other people who have walked a similar life and give them hope because I found it the hard way. I would never want anybody to go through that again. I, if I could prevent one person from going through the heartache that I've gone through or just give them some form of hope, I am, I would, it was worth every re-traumatizing experience again. I have a a great partner. I mean, I have a great relationship right now. I have a lot to give. Um, my, my cup is definitely full. And so it's, I want to give back. I think there's a lot of people out there who need to know that you can thrive and you could, you could thrive and be incredible, do amazing things in life. And you could still come back from a very trouble, um, childhood or um, something that's any form of trauma. It it doesn't even have to be specifically sexual abuse, any form of trauma, you can make it. Yeah, I love that. And I love that your one of your goals is to normalize speaking up about this. Mm -hmm. And and not only just sexual abuse, but other abuses or anything else. And boy, when you say one in four uh, girls go through this and one in six boys, and you're saying those are just the reported cases. Right. I mean, so we all know that that, that number is probably one out of two, you know, and it's like, that is, you know, scary to think about, but how, how lucky we are that we have you in the sense of you're, you, you, and even if you don't, I don't know what you think, how, how impactful you've been, but man, I'm telling you, you are making a, a wave here that's helping so many people. I mean, do you ever like look and go, wow, I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Um, I felt honestly, I've always wanted to do this, but I was too afraid. I think <laughs> terrified. Um, I yeah. just, I didn't even know how to, I didn't, <laughs> I could not, I would, well, first of all, um, I think I've been so programmed not to speak out. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I would talk, I would have like a post-traumatic stress syndrome and I would just yeah. kind of freeze. Yeah. And so um, in doing this, I had to find a speech coach and kind of help me get through my fears and this phobia. Mm. And I thought I never could do it, but never say never. I think you right. could change <laughs> yourself. I feel like in some ways, when you go through trauma, you ha- I feel like um, if I had to equate it to something that people could relate it to, it's like you have to um, change your mindset and challenge yourself, like really, truly challenge yourself. And I, yeah. if I had to relate it to something. I feel like if I was an Olympian uh-huh. that, um, I don't know. I heard that you, t- you, you're a runner. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. I do. Yeah. I do races and stuff from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> well, say for example, if that was 
all that you knew was how to run and somebody took that away from you and they said, okay, now you're going to be, uh, your new sport, your new, new thing is going to be rock climbing if that was yeah. an Olympic sport. And yeah. you have to find a way to do rock climbing. And you're thinking, well, I'm afraid of heights. I <laughs> I can never do that. Um, yeah. I Like, how do you put your hands up there? Where do I place my feet? There's a lot of vision work that goes into that. Like, yeah. um, and that's what I feel like this has been my calling probably maybe this is what put me here on earth is to speak out about this but i really do feel like i'm being called and challenged to step up to the plate to help others and i really do wholeheartedly believe that i love that as beautifully said cindy you know there, it reminds me of a quote by pablo uh, picasso that says the meaning in life is to find your gift the purpose in life is to give it away and and that's really what you're doing. And despite that you had to go through some really horrific things to get there, uh -huh. it's pretty cool that uh, that you're doing that now. So you have um, it's it's called you're, you know you're the founder of Cindy Talks, right? And I think one of the most amazing things that you that inspire me about you is that one I think the thing that stands out the most is your vulnerability to talk about this. Although it's been a obviously a challenge to get to that point, but I mean, you've interviewed your kids about this. You actually even interviewed your own father. I did about this. I mean, come on! I I saw that and I watched that. I could not believe just the courage it took for you, first of all, to even being willing to do something like that. And I just I'm blown away by that. Well, that honestly, um, so. Oh, wow. This is a, I know a lot of people feel different about this and, but yeah. this is my story. Yeah. So <clears throat> in doing what I felt was best, um, yeah. later on my dad, as he was aging, I really didn't have a, a good relationship with my dad, but as he was aging, um, and I think my father and I were like, I would say like oil and vinegar or fire and butane. I mean, I just, whatever <laughs> he said, I just like, oh, just did not resonate mm -hmm. with me. And I was always very vocal with him. Yeah. But um, when he got into his older years and um, he was pretty much isolated, I remember my mom being angry. They divorced later on, um, way mm -hmm. later on. Yeah. And her saying, you know, you're going to be a, a lonely old man. And I, I remember thinking like, well, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's yeah. between them. But I remember thinking, ouch, mom, like that's pretty tough, but yeah. um, you yeah. know, that's their business. And, yeah. and I saw my dad, you know, by that time he was mixing his medicines, you know um, he wasn't sure how to organize them. Right. And the hospital called about 10 times and I was um, the executor. And so that's why they were always calling me. And by that time, my son was a teenager. I have a special needs son. And um, he was going through, you know, like all teenagers, it's hard being a teenager. Yeah, it's right. yeah. not a fun process to go through. Yeah, right. All my other kids were adult children moved out of the house. And I really wanted to focus on my son. My dad's ill. And I thought, gosh, you know, I, maybe it's at this point where I have to take care of my dad and I can't do it every day on the phone. So um, yeah. I actually moved him um, five minutes away from me and I did it for myself. Yeah. Um, I also did it because I knew it was the right thing to do. And I, I did get a little bit of pushback from family. Like, why would you do oh, this? I bet. Yeah my kids were like, why would you do this, mom? This is crazy. And I'm like, it's, it's not about him. This is about me. Mm. And I also have to do what's right for my heart. And yeah. I can't, it's harder for me to ignore something. That's way too much energy to, for me to ignore something. I'd rather address it and address it my way. And my dad was willing to take my help. And I moved him back from California over here to Washington and I took mm -hmm. care of him. And in that process, I was able to kind of get to know him as an older guy. And yeah. um, he was a lot different than he was when he was younger. Um, first of all, he's in a walker and in a diaper. So obviously very different, but right. his nature was different. And I was an adult 
um, my fifties at that time. And I did ask him like, Hey dad, why did you do this? Like, cause I can't, I might've asked him a thousand times. I have asked him different ways and he always denied it. And when he was in the nursing home, I asked, um, and you know, again, my dad's walking around, so he just needed some management with his care. Yeah. And, um, later on, he, 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 he ended up in a diaper and, and in a, in a walker. I, sorry that I spoke out of turn, but, um, that was not very nice. Um, so anyway, he, he said, um, I said, why dad, you know, why did you do this? Cause he was surprised that I was the one to take care of him at the end. And he okay. said, well, you know, I have to say I was, um, during the war in Germany, I was raped by soldiers and, um, And I remember looking at him thinking, oh, wow. So he did what he did not like, and he did that to me. So he repeated the cycle. And I thought, well, that doesn't justify his actions. And I thought, well, okay, that's that's something. Like, that's the first time I heard anything about this. And um, I started talking to him a lot more. And then I started journaling, just going back to what I used to. And then I said, dad, can I record this? Cause I'm almost kind of feeling ill or sick about this, that I just want to make sure that I'm not crazy and that I've made this up. Can I record this? So then I started recording him and he would talk about it. And in, in that process, it was really hard. I would go home. I get in the car often. I cry just yeah. hearing his truth. I recognize how ill he was. Um, I, I, I kind of, I, I just couldn't believe that this, again, that this was my life. And I had no idea what, to what depth, how ill he was and uh, uh, mentally I'm saying, and oh, sure, through sure. that, I thought, I wonder if somebody else would need to heal, hear this, maybe like a yeah. medical professional, maybe right. they would need to hear this, or maybe there would be some person out there who would need to hear maybe like a mindset of, of a predator. So I started doing this and I said, dad, I think I'm going to write a book about this. I think I'm going to write a book about this. And, um, I said, I thought it was going to be a cookbook, but I think it's going to be about this. And (laughs) I think it's going to be about our life and maybe we could change some things. Maybe we could, maybe you could take the wrong and turn this into a positive, into a good thing. And, um, and I don't know if that gave him peace, I don't know in his passing. Um, It seemed to. I'm sure it helped on some level. I mean, honestly, but man, that's, that's pretty courageous of you to do what you did. Well, I would come home and cry. It wasn't, I'm sure I would come home and cry. I definitely am a truth seeker. I would, I'll poke and prod until I could get the truth. I am definitely, no matter if, if I hear it, if I could hear the facts, then I could do something with the facts. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, it's so impressive. You know, I, if, you know, there's probably a lot of people, you know, I know a lot of my followers have been through some really difficult things, including sexual abuse. If, if there's someone listening to you right now, Cindy, that's kind of in that place, they're in this dark place, maybe they haven't shared it with anyone and they're just, they feel alone. What you've already shared some amazing things, but what would you tell that one person right now? who's in that dark place, what would you say? Um, That they're not alone, that there's um, more people like them than they think. Mm -hmm. Um, To find people that you could trust, um, start slowly, talk to people. I think um, that's the first step. I don't know if I would reach out to family first. I would start with friends. Um, family is a completely different dynamic. Um, a lot of times if you're changing and you're trying to improve yourself, your family, they don't know you as the other person. So they're going to possibly, um, not like the changes that are in you and you may revert back or you may get silenced in that process. So I would start with friends. Um, there's also fabulous counselors out there who take sliding scale, um, the best results I ever got was through a trauma therapist. Okay. Um, I thought they, right. 
just knew how to specialize in trauma. And since I suffer from PTSD, I found a lot more um, self-regulation and boundaries with that and a lot more healing. I think they really focused on that. Um, But I had to start slow and go to, to different kinds of therapists. I would also tell people who are going to explore different kinds of therapy that you are in control, that it's your therapists are there to aid and help you. But if you don't resonate with your therapist, you know, it's, it's like a marriage. I mean, you're sharing very personal information, yeah, right? Yeah. You know what? You could just say, Hey, this doesn't work for me. Do you have anybody yeah. else? And yeah. they are more than they're, they're allies. They're looking to help. Yeah, and sure. You know, if it if you're with a therapist for a long, long time and you're thinking, well, I'd like to switch up, your therapist is more than happy to yeah. help you find another person or you could try different techniques and you're in control. It's not the other person. And I think when you've come from abuse or any kind of abuse, that authority is that sometimes we give things up to authority, but you have to recognize that you are in control. You're in control of your body. You're in control of your mind. You're in control of your heart and your soul. And you could change your own mindset. You make that happen. It's yeah. it's not necessarily somebody else. Those are tools that they're giving you, but it's a choice to change your own mindset and that you can make it through. And wholeheartedly, I know you can. Without a doubt, I know you can. Yeah. Well, you're living proof, Cindy. And that was beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. If if someone wants to reach out to you, Cindy, and, and get a copy of your book, learn more about Cindy Talks, you know, and just kind of where you're going with all of this, and maybe just to even ask you some advice, what would be the best way for them to do that? I really encourage people to reach out to me. Um, so I have a blog. It's um, www dot cindy c-i-n-d-y talks t-a-l-k-s dot com and in the blog i share um stories other people write in they ask for advice um you know it could be therapeutic advice they just might want to reach out and just say hey this happened to me too um whatever it is you know reach out to me those who are listening to this who want to find solutions to um maybe have more open conversations to find solutions to our broken system. I don't have those solutions. I'm just a squeaky voice in the crowd. (laughs) And I would love to collaborate with others who can make some changes. And because I think changes need to be made. Yeah, for sure. Well, I encourage anyone listening to reach out to you, especially if you have gone through similar things and you don't know where to go. Cindy would be a great resource for that. I will put that, uh, your link to, to your website and your blog in the show notes so they can get right there. Um, okay. I do want to share one more quote from your book, if that's sure. okay. It, uh, it's by Shannon Alder that says, courage doesn't happen when you have all the answers. It happens when you're ready to face the questions you have been avoiding your whole life. Oh. Wow. And I, when I read that, I was like, dang, how, how appropriate for all of us. I mean, whether you've been through abuse or not, but it's a lot of times, you know, we find the answers when we're ready to face the questions, you know, and those kind of things. And anyway, your book's amazing. You're amazing. Um, (laughs) I feel honored and blessed to be sitting here listening to your story firsthand. And I don't know, I just can't thank you enough for taking some time with us today. Oh, thank you, Todd. I have to say what I like about um, your podcast the most. I like the fact that you, um, you, you, you talk about their story, but a lot of times, um, trying to find a solution or trying to find a way through and you focus on that. And I think that's like, I wish I would have had you as a kid. I wish I would have had you as a, as a young teenager or a mom growing up. Like, I wish I would have heard your stories. Like that's like you're reaching other people. And I think that's what we just need to find the light. We just need to find ways and hear other people's stories. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think life happens for us and I, I see all that you have been through and and it's unfortunate, but yet look what you're doing now and now people listen to you because of what you went through. So, and it's kind of like my story too. I, you know, mine was addiction that I went through and, and now I'm, you know, I've got a voice in that direction and 
And now it's expanded to things that we were talking about today with you. So it really does happen for us. Sometimes, like you said, we don't know why we're going through it, but you know, I look back and I wouldn't change a thing. And uh, had I not been through what I've been through, I wouldn't be talking to Cindy today. And I just feel so blessed. Ditto. Seriously. Thank you. You bet. Thank you so much, Cindy. And, uh, Benezra. Did I say that? Benezra, right? Yeah. Benezra, I did it right. Cindy Benezra. So, um, everyone who's listening, please reach out to her. CindyTalks.com. Please check out all that she's doing. If, if you have someone that you think might be struggling with this or anything, share a link of, of this episode with them. It'll open up some dialogue and, and maybe, you know, get, they'll get the help that they need. And, and I can't thank you enough for supporting this. And Cindy, one last thank you to you. You're amazing. And I'm grateful to know you now. Grateful too. Thank you so much, Todd. You bet. Again, thanks to my sponsors and thanks for all of you tuning in. I love you guys. You truly are the best. Until next time, take care.